you have your Bibles this morning, I hope that you'll find two places with me. First is Mark chapter 5, as we are going through the book of Mark, verse by verse, but also the 34th Psalm. I want to read for you three verses from the 34th Psalm this morning. As we've been going through Mark chapter 5, we've been looking at different situations in people's lives. We've looked at the storm that Jesus calmed as they were crossing from one side of the sea to the other. Uh, We looked at how Jesus delivered a man who had been demon-possessed. And we've looked at different ways that storms come. Sometimes storms come into our life because of our own sinful choices. We bring those situations among ourselves. Other times we looked at the Apostle Paul who said we shouldn't get on this ship, we shouldn't make this route, but someone else says... We're going. And so that storm was brought into his life by someone else. But then other storms come into our life that God brings with a purpose to teach us, to strengthen us, to cause us to understand who he is. And so when you think about the storm that the disciples went through, Jesus told them to go. They didn't do anything, they weren't bad uh, sailors. It just was something that God allowed. You think of the demon-possessed man. We're not told in any way, shape, or form that he caused that among himself, that sin and the brokenness of this world, for God's purposes, that had happened. But yet the Lord was enough. And everything the Lord was doing was trying to get their attention to show them who he was, that he really was the Son of God, that he really was the promised Messiah, the one that they could believe in. And today as we look at Mark chapter 5, Jesus has going back across to the multitudes, the group that he left that were pressing him so much that he had to get on a boat. And yet we're going to meet two situations, a woman with a flow of blood, a medical condition that would have separated her from all of her family, her friends, the ability to worship, to have a normal life. And we meet a man whose daughter is dying, but yet the Lord is enough. And today I want to ask you this question, who do you turn to in your time of need? Some people turn to alcohol. Some people turn to drugs. Some people turn to hobbies to relieve the stress of life. But this morning, if you want a place to turn that is full of answers and who has hope and who can change the situation that you are in, it is the Lord Jesus Christ. He truly is the one that we need. Now, most of us would say, Jake, I don't have a trouble turning to the Lord in my time of need. Where I get in trouble is when I don't think there is a need. When life is sailing along as it should. When everyone's pretty healthy. When we're not fighting too much. In those times, I can begin in my own personal life to take for granted the blessing of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ, of having that personal relationship with Him, having that time that I get to spend with Him in prayer and in study. Now, you probably don't have that problem, but the question is, how can I have a faith that runs to Him in the good time and in the bad, to stay committed to Him in the valleys and the mountaintops, to worship Him in the storms, and in smooth sailings. In Psalm, the 34th chapter, or 34th Psalm, if you would stand with me, I want to read verses 8 through 10 
to give you hope this morning. Starting in verse 8, it says, Oh, taste. And that word for taste means judge. Just like if someone said, try this pie. It's delicious. Someone brought me a piece of pie for uh, pastor appreciation. I was sitting in my office and I thought, I ought to go get a fork. No? I don't think I'm going to get a fork. And so if you'd have come by my office, you'd have seen me, full-on fat guy, eating this piece of pie with a bare hand. And I can tell you, I tasted and it was delicious. So the writer says, Oh, taste, try the Lord, judge, and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, in verse 9. There is no want to those who fear Him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord, don't miss this, shall not lack any good thing. Father, we thank You for Your love and Your mercy and Your grace. And Lord, I ask, Lord, that You would speak through Your Word today, Lord, through the power of Your Spirit that you would convict hearts, that you would encourage, Lord, that you would change people for your glory. And Lord, I ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. So I hope you to see that because this morning, anytime you read a verse like that, there are two responses for most people. Some people go, oh, this sounds like something Joel would say on television. I don't want to listen to this. And other people would say, well, I'm just grouchy and I'm miserable and the reason nothing happens is just God doesn't want anything to happen. And I don't believe either one of those are true. Look at verse 10. But those who seek the Lord, if you're willing today to turn to the Lord, to trust Him, to rely on Him, to seek Him, what does it go on and promise you? Shall not lack any good thing. That means if you as a couple are willing to run to God for your marriage, God will not withhold what you need. Now, it might not be what you think you need, but God promised you'd have what is good. You say, Jake, I want to be a parent. I want to be the husband and the father and the mother and the wife that God wants me to be. If you're willing to seek the Lord, what does it say? You will lack nothing. God will give you what you need. You say, Jake, I want to be that Christian witness at work. I want to make a difference in other people's life. I want to be the person who God wants me to be. Well, what does it say? But those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Today, God is willing to supply what you need if you're willing. Today, God will allow you to be who He wants you to be if you were willing. What does that mean? That means God is gracious, merciful, and good and says, respond. Today, am I willing to take accountability for my life and my walk with the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. Use me. And so when we come to Mark chapter 5, if you're taking notes this morning, the first thing I want to show you is when a need brings you to Jesus. Sumians might be thinking about a time in your life when there was cancer, when there was the loss of a loved one, when you fell under conviction to get saved and you knew there was a need. And you're saying, Jake, I've been through the valley. I know 
what it's like to be in a place where I cannot meet my need. And I ran to Jesus. Well, look at these two different individuals here in verses 21 through 28. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. That's this man's need. His daughter is dying. There's nothing they can do. There's no urgent care. There's no emergency room. This is a hopeless situation. And he says, even though I'm a part of the Jewish religion, even though I'm a part of the Jewish synagogue, even though I've probably got some responsibilities and I've heard the bad things they're saying about Jesus, I need a miracle. So he goes. And this morning I want you to know that you might not be willing to admit it. You might not want anyone else to know it. But today there are needs in your life. Needs in your relationship with other people. And look what it says in verse 23. And begged him earnestly saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her and she may be healed. And she will live. So Jesus went with him and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. And so if you've ever been any place with a huge crowd where there's more people than space to be, what it's like trying to walk through that and get through that and people are trying to reach to Him, Jesus says, I'll go. And so as they begin to walk, someone else enters the story. Look at verse 25. Now a certain woman who had the flow of blood for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians... She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came behind Him in the crowd and touched His garment. For she said, If only I may touch His clothes, I shall be made well. This is a woman, because of this issue, she would have been unable to go to worship. She could not have gone to the temple because she was considered unclean. She could not have been around her family and friends because she was considered unclean. This entire woman's life had been ruined, but she'd been doing everything she could to fix it. It says she went to physicians and they had harmed her. That means they had given her certain medicines, certain remedies, maybe even tried to do certain procedures. And you can only imagine in this day and age to cure this woman, but it got worse. This woman's life was getting worse, more hopeless, more without any ray of change. Friends, it's one thing to be rock bottom, but it seems like it's another when it just keeps going lower. You know, when one bad thing's happened, but then another bad thing happens, and another bad thing happens, and it's just like, how can it get any worse? Or when you think you finally have someone with an answer that no one then can help. And so we see two people here this morning. One who is worried about a dying child and another woman whose life has been completely ruined. I said this in the first service and I I try to say the same thing in both. I really think that most of us do not run to the Lord in our times of need is because we struggle with pride. 
We think that we don't want other people to know about our marital struggles, about our loneliness, about our sin. And so we think, I'll handle it. I would rather no one know it not change, but it's pride. Sometimes I think we don't run to the Lord in our time of need is because Satan convinces us that it's really not that big. There's other people with bigger issues. There's other people with bigger problems. Yours is not that big of a deal. Now let's be clear, there are some people who think everything is a big deal in their life. But I'm talking about today if you are here and you are hurting and you are broken and you are struggling and there's sin in your life or something and you're here going, I know it's a big deal, but there are other people with bigger problems. Look up here. Don't believe Satan lied. If his eye is on the sparrow, God knows you, cares about you, loves you. The third reason I think it is is because we're just too busy. And we have established that this is how life has to be. Well, we've been married 40 years, been miserable now, might as well not change anything. Worked at the same place 30 years, hated all 30 of it, might as well just take it. Had this problem, struggled with a sin, I've lived this way so long now, might as well just keep it how it is. I'd rather have the known than the potential for the unknown. And so we don't run to God. We don't seek Him. We don't look for God's working and power and blessing in our life. Sometimes we like where we're at. I got just enough about God to make me feel like I'm going to heaven, but not enough of Him to change who I am. I can live how I want. I can come to church how I want. I can have the best of both worlds. Look what it says in the book of Philippians chapter 4. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be known to God. Paul says you and I have to come to a place where we humble ourselves, where we trust God, and we're willing to go to Him with the request that we have. God, I'm struggling in this area. God, I'm hurting in this area. God, I'm sinning in this area. Lord, I need your wisdom in this area. God already knows what you need, but Paul says, let your request be known. You know that your kids need lunch today, that your wife is going to want lunch today, your husband is going to want lunch today, and someone is inevitably going to ask the question, where do you want to eat? And if you're like me, you have a bunch of little kids that'll say, McDonald's! And I'll go, yes! And every other adult that goes with us will be like, I don't want McDonald's. We ate there all week. Well, where do you want to go? Well, let's go to Chinese. I don't like Chinese. Let's go to Mexico. No, it's too expensive. Let's go to Dairy Queen. No, I don't want Dairy Queen. And this, this happens, right? No one's honest totally. It's just like, well, you know. But what God says through the Apostle Paul is, bring your requests to the Lord. When you're hurting, when you're struggling, He says, bring your request. And look what happens after that. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You say, how does that happen? The more you pray, 
The more time you spend with God, the more time you watch as God works and moves in your prayer last life, you are able to trust Him more. The reason some of you today cannot trust God with the things in your life, it's because you never take those requests to Him. The reason I know that God answers prayer is because I have watched Him answer your prayers for other people. How He's answered my prayers for people. How God has worked. When you look through a prayer list and you see God worked here, God moved here, God healed here, God saved here, God brought the prodigal home. God can do these things. And so the more that you trust Him, the more requests you take to Him, you begin to understand something, that He is a good God. He is faithful, loving, merciful. If you want to know how to trust Him more, start the prayer list in your own life. Write it down, write it down, write it down. And as God answers, you begin to work. Some of them won't be answered the way you want them to be. But just watch what God can do. Second thing I want to show you this morning from this passage of Scripture is not only do we see two people with a need, we see God's power to change an unclean person. God's power to change an unclean person. Look in verse 29. Immediately, the fountain of blood was dried up and she felt it in her body that she was healed of the affliction. And Jesus immediately, knowing in Himself the power had gone out from Him, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched me? But His disciples said to Him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And He looked around to see her who had done this thing, but the woman, fearing and trembling, don't miss that, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before her and told Him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. You see, when we look at this passage of Scripture, we have to be reminded of something. That Jesus didn't ask her because He didn't know. He asked her because He was giving her an opportunity to respond, to testify that this is what God had done for me. Not only that, so that he could tell her, daughter, you have been made well. Now, this is a very difficult section of Scripture because it can be interpreted multiple different ways and it can be translated multiple different ways. It can be translated, your faith has saved you. It can be translated, your faith has made you well. Say, Jake, which do you believe? I believe it's both. I believe, one, this woman came to a saving faith in the knowledge of who God was because He calls her daughter. He responds with that love and affection that she belonged to Him. Some people say, well, no, everybody calls people daughter. No. I've got six of them. That's the only six that I call what? Daughter. Others will say, well, it's just the physical healing. It is because He says, right, you're... Faith has healed you from this affliction. And what that means is, in your life and in mine, whether it's a sin problem, whether it's a struggle in life, whether it's a problem that I'm carrying, the Lord can take whatever the mess that I'm in and change it. I find it interesting when you read here this fear and trembling. You see, you have to understand something. 
And I have to understand something. With this woman walking through the crowd, what she had done was made every single person she got close to unclean. The Jewish mind, the Jewish Old Testament said this woman has spiritually corrupted everybody that's here. And now Jesus wants her to say, here I am. Now the question is, did everybody know her problem? I don't know. But I bet she thought they did. Don't miss this. Friends, Satan will convince you that your sin, that your failure, that your past, that your mistake... Everybody knows it, and no one can forgive it. He'll convince you of that. Well, remember the time you lost your temper? Remember the time you looked at something you shouldn't? Remember the time you said something you shouldn't? Remember the time you did this and that? You know how you are. Satan will convince you you have no value. Those people at that church won't love you. They won't forgive you. They won't give you a second chance. They won't want you. Jesus says, stand up, child. Tell us what the Lord can do. And friends, that's our testimony. You might dress up well on Sundays. You might put in hair powder like I do and 38 pounds of hairspray so it doesn't move at all. But Friends, I'm telling you, you're a sinful, wicked sinner saved by the grace of God. The only thing good in this place is the fact that Jesus loves us, says that He will care about us, says that He forgives us. We all bring our baggage. We all bring our problems. We've all got our sins. And the grace and mercy of God says, I knew you and I loved you while you were a sinner. Stand up, child, and declare what the Lord can do. We see that right here. And so we see this beautiful picture of how God is at work. Psalm 84, starting in verse 10. The 84 Psalm says it like this. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. Now don't miss this next phrase. We've already read it once. No good thing will He, who's He? Not the preacher. Not the church. But God. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. You see, that sounds a whole lot like Psalm 34, verse 10. You're right, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Friends, today, if you will make the decision to respond to the Spirit of God and humble yourself and seek Him and follow Him and love Him and say, Lord, I need You, God will respond. God will work. Third and final thing, and I'll be done. Not only have we seen that this need brought these people, not only that God can clean up an unclean person, but God's power can overcome the most hopeless of situations. You see, that's kind of a weird thing to throw right in the middle of this passage of Scripture as Jesus is walking along. But don't miss what it goes on to say in verses 35 through 43. 
while he was still speaking, as he's talking to this woman about the forgiveness and the healing and the power that has been in her life, while he was still speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any longer or further? They showed up and said, don't bother him. He's busy. It's over. Your daughter's dead. It's hopeless. Nothing can be done. Friends, I want you to know that there will be people that will tell you that about you. Your marriage can't be saved. Your loneliness can't be overcome. You can't be forgiven. God can't give you a second chance. You need to know that Satan does not want you to know what God can do in your life and wants to convince you that it's too late. It's too far gone. It's too hopeless. There's nothing worth fighting for. It's over. But look what it goes on to says here. As soon, Jesus didn't give it one moment, one iota to sink in. Not one time for it to begin to twirl in our minds. As soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, He said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not be afraid. Only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. And when he came into them, Why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead but sleeping. And Jake Gray's version, that is, shut your pie holes. You don't know what you're talking about. And friends, you need to know these people were paid professional whalers. At a Jewish funeral, it was a sign of respect to the dead to not only have your family wailing and moaning and weeping, but to pay other people to make a big ruckus over the death of a loved one. Jesus says you've wasted your money. You've wasted your time. You don't know what you're talking about. I want you to know that. Sometimes it feels that way in life. feels like everybody is celebrating our demise. Everybody is rejoicing over our failures. No one talks about the good things that you do, but it's always the mistakes. No one celebrates usually the victories or the moments of compassion. It's always the failures. But go on here with us and says, This child is not dead, but sleeping. And they ridiculed him. Who? Who is being ridiculed? Jesus. They said, What are you talking about? Well, we know you can give sight to the blind. We heard you cured a woman with a flow of blood. We've heard you fixed some limbs that were maimed. We know you can do some things like calming a storm, but this girl is dead. There is no hope. There's no overcoming that. Who do you think you are? But when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was laying. And he took the child by the hand and said to her, 
Talitha Kumai, which is translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Immediately. Don't miss that. Immediately. The girl arose and walked, for she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement. But he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. You see, this is the epitome of the power of God. It's the storms of the physical world. It's the demon possession as the influence of Satan. It's the flow of, the, of blood, the curse of the body which we all face, and death, the greatest enemy that we face. Jesus says none of it's a problem for Him. You say, well, I thought Jesus conquered sin and death and the grave at the resurrection. You're absolutely right. This girl did not get a resurrected body when she, when she came back. When Lazarus came out of that tomb, he did not get a resurrected body. It was the same old wore-out, broken, sinful body that they had before. But when Jesus came out of the grave, when Jesus rose on the third day, He came out with a resurrected body, the body that will never wear ill, the body that will never grow sick, the body that will never face death. It is the body that has been transformed into the glory of who He is. And the Bible says that one of these days when the Lord comes and the trump sounds and the dead in Christ rise, you and I will receive that same body, conquering sin and death and the grave in its entirety forever. And Paul even said, don't let people lie to you that God doesn't have a purpose for you, a plan for you, overcoming the problems of this life. Isaiah 41 says it like this in verses 10 through 13. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not in a spade, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Behold, all those who were incensed about against you shall be ashamed and disgraced. They shall be as nothing. And those who strive with you shall perish. You shall seek them and not find them. Those who contended with you, those who war against you, shall be as nothing, as a non-existent thing. For I, the Lord, your God, will hold your right hand, saying to you, Fear not, I will help you. This could be one of my top five favorite passages of Scripture in the Bible. And the reason is, is all of us face enemies. All of us face people who make backhanded comments, who work against us, who want to see us fail. And the flesh says, I'd rather hit them than pray for them. I'd rather fight this battle on my own. But the Lord says, listen here, your enemies can do nothing to you when I'm involved. Not only can they do nothing to you, you won't even find them. I'll take care of it completely. And friends, today I say that because sometimes we look at our physical health and say, we're fine. Sometimes we look at our spiritual health and say, well, I'm going to heaven, I'm fine. But sometimes we look at the people in our lives and we say, there's the problem, there's the enemy, there's the struggle. Whatever the issue is, the Bible covers it, that God is enough. 2 Corinthians closes it like this, starting in verses 9, verses 8 through 9. 
God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance of every good work. As it is written, He has dispersed abroad. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. That passage of Scripture is talking about financial service, about being generous with what God has given you. And what it says there is what? That you will have an abundance for every good work. You will have sufficiency in all things. There is nothing that God is asking you to do today that God has not provided what you need. God says, I need to forgive you to forgive that person. I can't do it. You don't know what they've done to me. What it says is Christ has given you everything needed to forgive them. God says, I want you to give them a second chance, a third chance. And you're saying, I'm not going to give them a second chance. I'm not going to give them a third chance. What the Bible says is that God has given you sufficiency in all things to do that. You say, God says, I want you to talk to someone about the Lord. I want you to, to do this. Everything you need, God has provided it. Why? Because it's about Jesus. Now, I, like I said, I never want to be accused of liking one service other than this, more than the other one. So I said it in the first one, I'll say it in this one. The reason most of us struggle with running to Jesus is because we don't know Him. We might come to church. We might sit in Sunday school. We might have a title after our name. We might have been baptized. We might have taken the Lord's Supper. But I was to ask you today, do you know Him. You'd say, well, I know about what He taught. I know what He did. Do you know Him? Do you have a personal relationship with Him based on the Word of God? What He says to you, what He says about you, the promises He's made to you. Can you honestly say that I know Him? I love Him. I have a relationship with Him. Because friends, anything other than a personal relationship with the Lord, you have robbed yourself from what God wants to do in you. You say, Jake, I'm forgiven. You know why you're forgiven? So that you can have a relationship with Him. That you can know Him. That you can love Him. That you can spend forever with Him. It's not just about getting rid of your sin. Your sin separates you from Him. And He wants a relationship with you. And friends, today, if you will honestly seek Him, Lord, I want to know You. Lord, I want to love You. I want to understand who You are in my life as an individual. Friends, that's when things begin to change. That's when things begin to change. Because you understand how He cares about you as much as we can in the finite brains that we have. You begin to see how He loves us in the best way that we can understand in a sinful and fallen world. And what you need this morning is not more of me or of this church or of whatever you're watching on television. What you need is a relationship with Him. You say, Jake, what does that look like? First of all, if you've never been saved, you need to know that Jesus Christ loves you. He went to the cross, and when He died upon that cross, He did not suffer for His sins, but for ours. And when God poured out the judgment for sin on Him as He hung on that cross, it was for our sin. So the separating 
sin and sickness that keeps us from Him could be paid. And the Bible tells us that He died on that cross and He was buried and three days later He arose, conquering sin and death and the grave. And if you are trusting any other way to go to heaven, it's not enough. It's not a Baptist way, a Methodist way, a Catholic way, a Lutheran way, an Episcopalian way. It is Him. What He did for you on Calvary. And when you ask Him for forgiveness and you ask Him to come into your life as the Lord and Savior of your life, what happens is His death, His perfection is given to you. It's called the imputed righteousness of Christ. When God looks at you, He sees the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood that was shed for you. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without the covering by the blood of Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sin. Without the covering of the blood of Jesus, you and I are not washed as white as snow. It's all about Him. And so if you're here today trying any other way to go to heaven, doesn't matter how much you're here, how much you give, it won't work. But if you're here today and you can honestly say, I've responded to the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. I know that I'm a child of God. I know I've asked for forgiveness. I know I've asked Him to come into my heart and life as the Lord and Savior of my life. Then friends, from now on until God takes you home, it's about loving Him more, knowing Him more, understanding Him more, following Him more. It's not the epiphany of life to be born again. It is to walk in that relationship from that point on, serving God, enjoying God, knowing God the rest of your life. Many of us have robbed ourselves of that blessing because we haven't sought Him. We haven't sought Him in every area of our life. What we have done is robbed ourselves of so many of the wonderful things the good things that the Bible says that God is willing to provide if we'll just seek Him. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. Lord, it's not mine, it's Yours. This morning, Lord, I know that there are so many things, so much heartache, so much pride, Lord, that keeps us from being who You want us to be. But Lord, I pray that Your Spirit would be at work, that He would work in our hearts and lives, and that we would be forever changed. And Lord, I ask it all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.